What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, I promise to not delete this episode <laughs> as I did the last one. We recorded a picks episode. We put the picks out there. I was cleaning up my computer, deleted the recording before editing it, and that's the story. But we did have proof of our picks <laughs> and we were, where we were thinking on the games. And Can we agree to call that the lost episode from now the on? The lost episode. We'll just refer to it as the lost episode. There was some <laughs> stuff that was said on the lost episode that I feel like would be good to rehash um, yes. with, with light of what has happened over the weekend. I mean, let's start with the game. So Michigan beats Ohio State. You and I both picked Michigan plus eight. Yeah. I sat on here and said, I think Ohio State wins a close game. I would not be shocked at all if Michigan wins. I just, it's hard to pick it because it's been so long since I've seen it. I'm like, this is Harbaugh's best team. This is their best chance to do it. You know, Friday night, everyone's like, ooh, it's going to be snowing tomorrow. And I'm thinking, hmm, what does cold, wet weather? I wonder which team this benefits most. It's Michigan. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, a 99% post game win expectancy from Bill Conley. So dominated from start to finish. Michigan was the better team. And it, Daniel, you and I talked about it a lot, like on the lost episode that there was going to be a giant overreaction to Ohio State beating Michigan State the way they did. Michigan yeah. State had a really bad pass offense. Everyone talked about Everyone was already jumping to can't wait for the Georgia-Ohio State National Championship. This Georgia defense is going to see the best offense in the country. Well, turns out Ohio State's offense couldn't score more than 30 on Michigan's defense. And I say that as a slight. Michigan is a very good defense, probably top five right. in college football, Yeah, um, which is why they dominated this game. They win by two scores. I mean – I, I think Bud Elliott said this. This looked like when Jim Harbaugh was at Stanford and they were at their best. The most Stanford-like team. I mean, yeah. I am so impressed with Michigan, and I cannot wait for them to be in the college football playoff. Did you hear what Jim Harbaugh said after the game? Was it the uh, the third base comment? Yes. Where he said, yes. some people wake up on third – or some people are born on third and think they hit a triple. I was like – Okay, Jim Harbaugh swinging for the fences here while he's – it's almost like it just took – I mean, it took a monkey off his back. We know this because it's what we've been talking about with Jim Harbaugh for the past, what, six years. So it's just something that he has had to deal with um, not beating Ohio State. And that's like – it's what, what it all comes down to, and he just hasn't been doing it. They've gone through two coaches, and both coaches have been undefeated against him. Uh, whether it be, you know, Urban Meyer or Ryan Day. And there's, you know, that time that he came really close. And then there's been times where they've come into the game and looked like they were a contender and then gotten the doors blown off. So, yeah, it's, so it's one of those things where you, you look at it and you say, okay, you know, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, we've seen it now. And it looked like a different Jim Harbaugh afterwards, like one that maybe has a renewed – confidence and maybe swagger just to like you know you know I, I I take it really far like obviously if if they win the big big 10 championship which will you know obviously do the preview show uh later this week um 
if they win that, then they're they're in the playoff. Well, obviously they have higher aspirations, but I mean, Jacob, this this changes things on the recruiting trail. This changes things everywhere for him, where he's not only got something to point to, but I think I think at a certain point he believes more in himself than he did prior to the game, um, because there is a sense of can I do this? Can I beat Ohio State? Are they just too good? And they made it an emphasis this year. Um, not that they don't necessarily do that every year, but they went out and they did it. And um, yeah, Hassan Haskins, I mean, was it five touchdowns that he had in the game, which ties the most of any Michigan running back in a um, in Ohio State Michigan game. Um, you know, this is it. I, I what is the stat that they were using? Bud Elliott was talking about it. It was like an 85%, not success rate, but win rate or something. I don't know. He said – Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. They never got pushed back. There was no – there were zero tackles for loss in the game. There was – I mean, every every block, basically they were, they were pushing Ohio State off the ball offensively, um, and they never had – I don't think they had any third and longs in the game. Um, everything was short because they just kept just moving, moving the pile. And uh, Hassan Haskins had a great day. The offensive line had a great day. Obviously, defensively, they had just a very balanced attack. Ajabo um, off the edge, pass rushing. Um, they're just a very balanced, complete team. Uh, are they perfect and elite? No. But are they a very good team and a really tough out? And, yeah, yeah, I, I believe that. And I think that Ohio State, in a year where they've got some chinks in their armor, especially on the defensive side, they ran into the wrong team. And Michigan was waiting for them in the big house. They did what they needed to do by scoring early and getting the crowd involved. And, yeah, the snow, I think, definitely was a benefit for Michigan, rather than if, if it's a benefit at all. I think Michigan wins without the the weather, but um, if it's a benefit at all, it benefits Michigan, who can run the ball and you know block and tackle well. So, with Michigan, it's hard to see them winning a game where you get down two scores and Michigan comes back and wins. You know, like with their style of play, it's very difficult. And so I remember early on, they get up seven nothing, they get the ball back, they get in the red zone, throw that interception, and mm-hmm. I'm like. Oh boy, like it's one of those. Days. Here, yeah. here we go. You know, Ohio State goes down. They hold them to a field goal. Impressive, but I'm like, it's a ten point swing. It's be fourteen nothing. Like if they had just kept running the ball, and so I was impressed that they didn't let that mistake early get them down. Because especially knowing how this rivalry has gone, a mistake right. like that you could easily go. Oh, here we go again. Like here comes Ohio State. They score quick. Now it's a tie game, and it should be 14 nothing. So I, I was impressed with their composure during the game. Shout out to Michigan and to Jim Harbaugh. The restructuring of the contract in the offseason. Jim Harbaugh bet on himself. Like, they lowered the buyout. But shout out to Michigan for not just pulling the plug. They're like, they're like look, the results are not what we want. It's like, let's lower the buyout. We want you to – like, we're going to give you a shot. Let's lower the buyout. Like, prove it to us. And Jim Harbaugh said in the offseason, like <laughs> – we're going to beat Ohio State or we're going to die trying. Like, and he Love beats it. Ohio State finally. And I, I just I can't say enough about how much respect I gained for Harbaugh and the staff. Um, you know, I think Jim Harbaugh got younger, got a younger staff that kind of went back to what he does well and what he knows really well. And 
I Michigan is another example. There's been a few this year of teams that can run, you know, a, a modern version of a throwback offense and a really good defense and be successful. And lastly, Aiden Hutchinson needs to be a Heisman finalist. And if it's my ballot right now, I'm putting three defensive players on it. He uh, he definitely seems more uh, – Harbaugh seems more comfortable in his own skin. Um, the team seems to be definitely more of his his identity – where I feel like in years past he's been trying to do everything else to just try, you know, when bringing in Josh Gaddis, it was like we're going to do these different things, and it just wasn't wasn't quite him. So, yeah, it's it's wild to see um, in an era of fire the coach early. I agree with you the fact that they held on to him, uh, big deal, and Michigan guy, and he's got to be feeling pretty good about himself. And they the work's not done yet, but. Big notch in their belt right here. They win the Big Ten East. They will play Iowa for the Big Ten Championship. When you're in, you control your own destiny at this point. So it's all on you. We will preview that game later on this week. Daniel, let's go to Auburn for the Iron Bowl. Alabama and Auburn go to four overtimes. Alabama wins on one of the new two-point conversions. Don't know your opinion on those. I'm not a fan, but – um. Bama pulls it off. Auburn had, you know, a 10-0 lead late in this game. Bama comes back and ties it. I don't want to rag on a kid, but crucial mistake to not go out of bounds uh, there in that last drive when Auburn could have milked some more clock, potentially not giving up that last touchdown. But, Daniel, worse than that, uh, there's been a lot of smoke around Harson not making it out of year one. And I'll tell you a really good way to not make it out of year one. Have Alabama on the ropes. Have a chance to – I mean, here's the thing, though. Even in overtime, Daniel, if you know that you have a chance to beat a better team or you can go for the tie and let the better team get another chance to beat you, what should you do? (laughs) You should try to end the game right there. End the game. Go for two in the first overtime. End I think it. you're also forgiven for going for it a lot easier Yes. at that moment because people know, hey, the other team is more talented. They are big brother. They are the team that should be winning this game. They should be dominating you. The fact that they're not, you try to capitalize and just win the game. That's what they should have done. I agree with you. Um, because he either wins and is a hero or loses but has respect. But extending the game and basically giving giving Alabama an opportunity to uh, to, to step in and and you go to a, pl- a play where you start to the, – the swapping of the two-point conversions, which I don't know if I have a full opinion on it yet because it's been so new – I do. I understand what they're trying to do. I don't know if they're actually accomplishing what they're setting out to do by, like, shortening the game or or whatever, because they happen so rarely. Um, I would maybe personally put the two point conversion thing after like a couple more overtimes. So it's like, okay, now we're getting to the point where it's you know a really long game. Um, you know, in the third overtime, that doesn't feel like long enough. I know that sounds weird, but it's almost like the game was just starting to finally take shape in a way. And then they, they cut to the the two point conversions, like earlier in the season when it was Penn state and Illinois, I believe it was, and they were swapping it. It was kind of fun because 
the game was a very little consequence for anybody. So it's like, Hey, I'll just watch this and see what happens. It was almost like watching somebody play a video game. This one, obviously Alabama's got title hopes on the line. It's the iron bowl. It's a very big deal. Um, the, you know, it runs the entire state of Alabama for, you know, a whole year. So uh, a lot more people are caring about this one. So yeah, maybe that's a way to tweak it. I don't know. I, I, I've always loved overtime in college anyways. Yes. I don't think yes. that they should have messed with it at all. No. Um, so it is what it is. We're, we're dealt the hand we are. And I mean, Alabama to their credit made the plays when it mattered the most. Um, Bryce Young had to go with the offense 97 yards in a hostile environment yep. at the end of the game to just tie it. Um, so that's my first thing is I'm impressed with that. Um, that he was able to 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 do that, even though he wasn't super impressive on the last drive as a whole. He had several incompletions as well, um, but he hit chunk plays when they were needed. And then, yeah, in in overtime, had just enough. I mean, weapons. I will say that the loss of Jamison Williams in this game, um, he had the targeting call on a um, a special teams play. So Jamison Williams being out, I think he's kind of their – I don't know if you'll call him a security blanket, but he's kind of – when things are stale on their offense, they can hit him for like a little short, you know, gain, gain and he might break a big run or do something spectacular or do something great in the return game. So he's someone that while Alabama is talented and they got players on players on players, I think he's a big difference maker for them. Um, and he's someone that they count on in a game like this, where if they're playing close, he can make the play to win it. So I will say that that's something that they're having to play without, but it wasn't like it was the wrong call. It was the right call. He it was targeting it was textbook targeting. So, um, but yeah, it was just a weird day. It was a weird game. Uh, it was a snoozer in like the second quarter. <laughs> I remember like thinking, I just need to take a nap because there's more games tonight. Um, and the way this one's going and then it really took on a life of its own um, the rest of the game um, if you're into punting this was the game for you because there's a lot of punts um, but yeah a lot of fun uh, especially at the end you want to know what the post game win expectancy was in this game for Alabama mm-hmm. was it like 50 percent 90 percent and again this is why if you're Auburn you you kind of had no right being in the game and you had a big lead and by a big lead. I mean, 10 points, but <laughs> the fact that you let it go to overtime and then again, go for the kill. You played bad all game and you had a lead on Alabama. Like you go for the kill. You don't extend it. And the... No, we're going to have one quarterback <laughs> with one good ankle. Like dude, he could not walk and he was playing like he could not walk. <laughs> I mean, his knee pads oh, were on his thighs. I don't know what was going on. It did not look good. 2.4 yards per play for Auburn during the game. I mean, heck, Bama's defense played their great. best game of the year. And, uh, you know, with TJ Finley at quarterback, sure. Like, he's not as good as Bo Nix. Oh, no. Well, Bo so, Nix at least gives you the option to scramble and do something yep. wild. So. so, Alabama went, you know, they get out. I, you know, you and I were texting uh, a friend of ours who's an Alabama fan. Shout out TJ Joy. And I don't know if it was you or him that said Alabama just went 11 and one and it feels like they went eight and four. <laughs> or something like 
<laughs> Which is funny because it's kind of like, oh wow, yeah, Bama's eleven and one, huh? <laughs> well, same it's like old, the same fans, old. <laughs> the fans feel like they're eight and four, and then people who've watched them closely this year feel like, oh yeah, they've lost a few games. But it's like you look up and it's like, no, they're eleven and one. And for teams that fight like tooth and nail to get to be ten and two for the first time in their career or their you know program's history, it's like that was their greatest year and then you look at Bama on one of their bad years and it's still 11 and one so since the bye week Alabama has played three power five teams they've won those games by a total of 15 points just a little little stat going the, going into this weekend uh Dan, I know there's a lot of games we could talk about yesterday it was my favorite Saturday of the season for sure um let's go to Bedlam <laughs> So, Bedlam was actually Bedlam. And, yeah. you know, there, there's a running joke. You and I talked about it in the Lost episode that um, that Bedlam, it's funny that it's called that because, you know, Bed Elliott has the joke, Bedlam goes three ways. It's Oklahoma by a little bit, Oklahoma by a lot, or Oklahoma by a medium amount. <laughs> it's, those are the three outcomes of Bedlam. I mean, this rivalry is like, it's something crazy, like 92 and 18 in Oklahoma's favor. Like, it, it's not close. It never will be. Um, it's been like 17 out of the past 20 years prior to th- yeah, this weekend. Something yeah. insane. And so I just blindly took Oklahoma. Like, hey, Bedlam goes three ways Oklahoma by a little, medium, or a lot. We get three and a half. Yeah. To boomer it, sooner. It was and an easy pick for me. Oklahoma State. Beats him. Looked like the better team. I mean, I, there were some special teams mistakes. I mean, you have 14 points just from the muff punt late, which ended up being the go-ahead touchdown uh, by Oklahoma, and then the kickoff return touchdown. So some yep. poor special teams play. It, it appeared that Caleb Williams had the flu because every time the camera panned to him, he looked like he wanted, wanted to, to die. die. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> And the same thing we'll get to this in a little bit, but maybe Lincoln Riley wasn't all the way focused in this game. (laughs) Knowing what we know now. (laughs) Yeah. What we know now, that's definitely, that's definitely something that um, that's a key. And, you know, I'm somewhat impressed with Oklahoma state's offense in this game because of what I think OU's defense is Mm. in that they, were more explosive and they didn't turn the ball over like crazy. Um, like I would kind of expect them to against this defense. Um, I thought it was going to be, I guess more of a defensive game. The game ended up in the thirties, but that's just because the nature of the game, I still think both teams played good situational defense. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was wild for a little bit. I mean, it was wild the whole game really. Um, but you could just tell that Caleb Williams could not do what he wanted to do like all the time. So um, I know that's kind of a generalized statement, but I think Caleb Williams is caliber of athlete who gets used to just kind of doing what he wants on the field at all times. And if he makes a mistake, he makes a mistake, but there were times where he's scrambling. It's like, okay, this is opening up. I'm just going to go get this first down 
he's getting tripped up or he's getting caught from behind or swallowed by a couple defensive linemen. So I think Oklahoma State is a little quicker on the defensive side than maybe we've given them credit for. We've said that they're good over the course of the year, but just player to player, they they seem like they have a good team speed on that defensive side of the ball, and you need that in the Big 12. Um, I definitely think that um, Oklahoma was playing like, you know, I looking at this game, I think um, Oklahoma State has been the better team all year. Oklahoma seemed like they showed up to win, but Oklahoma State was just almost a pest in a way. It was like they just – you're not going to get it easy. You're not going to get anything easy. I say that, and, yes, there was a muff punt, and they basically gave them those points and that uh, safety. But, um, you know, I don't know. I just feel like Oklahoma State is just resilient, and this was the first time that I felt like – this was an opportunity for them. Uh, of course, Oklahoma State wins by four. The, the line is three and a half. So I'm sitting here thinking the whole time, my pick's safe because Oklahoma keeps – like, even if Oklahoma loses, it's going to be by, like, one point or maybe three. <laughs> right. And then, of course, the final ends up being a four-point spread. So that's phenomenal. Uh, great job, Vegas. But, um, yeah, I can't say enough. I mean, this was just – I felt like the game was just on its – it was like almost separate from the whole day. Like I just watched all this college football. I felt like Ohio State-Michigan was like two days' worth of games, and then the Iron Bowl was like three years long. And then there's other stuff going on in this window where it's like A&M, LSU, and all these others that I was kind of keeping an eye on. Meanwhile, Bedlam just being crazy over here in the corner, like – who scored this time? Oklahoma State was sneaky in that were they the best team in the Big 12 all season and kind of went unnoticed? I'm, I'm looking back, and I'm like, this morning doing rankings, and I'm like, Oklahoma State's in my top four. Like, th- like they are, and I think they deserve it with, with the win over Oklahoma. Now – you know, now things get interesting. Does Oklahoma State control their own destiny? I think we'll I think we'll know on Tuesday if they control their own destiny. Oh yeah. We'll know then. So that'll be interesting. I if I'm a committee voter, I'm putting them in the top four this week. And I think they do control their own destiny. One lost Big 12 champ where you're gonna beat back to back two top ten teams. Like that. What more can you do? Right. So, other than going defeated, <laughs> which only two teams have done so far this year. Um, we hinted at it. I mean, some big news today. So, first, Billy Napier hired at Florida. And I want to start there. But that had the headlines for all of 15 minutes Yeah. before Lincoln Riley to USC. And after the game, he gets a question about the LSU job. You know, he, he says – we stop you right there. I will not be the next head coach at LSU. And if there was someone else in the room, he might have winked at him or something. Because, I mean, right around lunchtime today, it was just like it went from nothing to official within like three hours. And insane. Let's start with Billy Napier. Let's give let's give Florida some uh, some time here. Uh, Lincoln obviously is, is the biggest move today, but 
Florida does hire Billy Napier. Uh, Daniel, in, in the lost episode, no, this was the recap last week. I said that he would be my head coach, like he would be my number one option if I'm Florida mm. for the reasons of like a relentless recruiter, like, and B, he has shown at Louisiana that he knows how to pull resources and like and get the school and everybody going in the right direction to help the football program win. And so credit to Florida with a quick coaching search. It sounds like they had their number one guy. They went after him. They got him. And, again, I I think with coaching hires, they're hard to grade. I kind of like the system we did last year. This, to me, is I'm going to say like a single or a double only because I'm going to be a lot more (laughs) hard this year on coaching hires because I really do think it's hard to know. But he has had coaching experience at their group of five level. So I think recruiting – he was a big recruiter at Alabama. I think he knows what it takes. Yeah. He knows what it takes to pull resources at Louisiana at a group of high school. Florida's going to be different. So I think if you're Florida, you made the best hire that you could outside of going and getting like, again, a sitting head coach like a Lincoln Riley. <laughs> outside of that, I mean, yeah, Billy Napier would have been my number one choice. So I think a solid hire by Florida. I agree. Um, he so Billy Napier when he was with Alabama I mean he was a good recruiter he he's and I think that there's certain aspects of his time there that I think prove valuable for him organizationally first is that he started out as an analyst so he understands that role he understands the value of it and what that value can bring obviously mentioned him pulling resources. You've mentioned this on a previous episode, but Louisiana in the Sun Belt has the most off-field analysts, has the most staff, support staff, everything like this. So he he knows organizationally and structurally what it's supposed to look like when it's good um, and what you need to be successful. Um, and then, yeah, the, the tireless recruiter thing. And then obviously he comes back and he's a position coach, which those guys are on the road recruiting. He has a lot of coaching ties to other recruiters and so the thought is that he's going to bring in a staff of recruiters which honestly probably would have saved Mullen's job because if Mullen comes in as this you know develop the developer coach first you know recruiter second if he brings in a bunch of alpha recruiters then I don't think Mullen has the issues that he had he just had a bunch of guys who liked to coach and nobody liked to recruit. And I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but that's ultimately what led to his demise. If he would have done it the opposite way, now you've got someone who already has an emphasis on recruiting, but now is bringing in guys on his staff that will also be doing that. Um, I think that that is vital to, to what they're going to do at Florida. I also think that it was important in this job market they got in late with their firing of Dan Mullen towards the end of the season. And I think they didn't want to go far down the a rabbit hole with anything. And they said, look, he, he, he I, I think that in my mind, I think Florida probably had him in a short list of maybe three guys that they were really zeroed in on. And they probably said all of these would have about the same probability of hitting and who's the guy we can get in the door the quickest to get started and get us in the right direction 
Um, do we feel like he could do the job? And then they went with it. So I don't think there's a surefire guy out there other than, I mean, we're about to talk about Lincoln Riley, but you didn't really think that someone's ready to leave OU, like Oklahoma, which is a great job in and of itself. It's at a blue blood. They've had success. They've gone to playoffs. The only thing everybody's talked about Lincoln Riley is potentially leaving for the NFL. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of smoke around LSU. That's just because of the nature of how good the LSU job is. Obviously, Florida's a great job. But, you know, we talked about – we mentioned Auburn earlier. I was just going to say I didn't think Auburn come open this year simply because they're competing with three of the top ten jobs in the nation, like we've talked about with USC, LSU, and Florida. Um I, I'm almost – I'm really proud of Florida for just finding their guy, planting their flag. It was quick. It was like a recruiting thing. It was like recruiting, and Florida did a good job of it because in recruiting, you'll have player A who is maybe – let's say he's a four-star. He's being recruited by Florida and LSU, and uh, Florida puts him – puts pressure on him and says, hey, we really want you, and LSU says, uh, we're interested, but we're waiting on to see how class numbers go – we're not exactly sure. LSU had not been pressing him to be the guy. Dude, they showed no interest. He's like in their the own jump. backyard. Yeah. So if if they're not showing interest, it's it could be a couple of different things. It could be boosters, you know, feeling some kind of way about hiring the Louisiana coach because it's in state and it kind of feels like beneath them. So it could have been, you know, something like that. It could have been something else that they just didn't think he was up for the job or or whatever. But um good on Florida to just go get their guy if they believe that was him and so we'll see what he does I mean I we talked about it beforehand um just kind of show prep I don't have high expectations for him year one or even year two I think he's going to build this a little bit differently um rather than trying to just develop talent that's already there because I do think that there needs to be kind of a roster um, restructure roster growth and how they're going to go get players and uh, bring them in. Uh, so I do think that that's important. I, I would say if I'm Florida, I'm happy with like an eight and four year next year and beating all the teams you're supposed to beat. Um, that's me without me looking at their schedule. Like they should take care of who they're supposed to take care of, improve their roster, you know, numbers, talent, all that kind of stuff and kind of, go off on a launching point from there. One other thing I'll mention is what seemed to be an issue with Dan Mullen with like the culture there at the end. That seems to be the opposite for Billy Napier. His players all came back for him this year. I think they had like 15 super seniors. So guys that believe in him that are willing to come back, uh, I think says a lot about the coach. So, you know, we always talk about, you know, when you're hiring a coach, you're usually going opposite of what you previously had that seems kind of opposite to me, a guy who's recruiting and really cares about the relationships. Um, you might see a different Florida Gator team um, come next year. So um, I'm interested to see kind of what Billy Napier brings to Florida and, and where this goes. He's turned down SEC jobs before he turned down Auburn last year, apparently, and South and Carolina Tennessee. and Tennessee. So yeah, he, he, he knew he was only coming for an upper echelon SEC job, and he had two um, that came open this year. So he definitely locked one down. In four years, Florida and LSU, one will look like idiots, and one will look like geniuses. 
and nothing in between because LSU showed no interest in Napier. Florida said this is our guy from the jump. So one's going to look like geniuses. One's going to look like idiots. I have no idea which one will be which. Well, but LSU could we'll still see. hire someone and it not pan out. So they could also – That's what I'm saying. If LSU hires someone who doesn't pan out, and, well, oh, you see, you're Billy saying they could both look like, like idiots. If they both don't yeah. – they could both look like idiots. But, you know, it is what it is. So, Lincoln to USC, like home run. <laughs> no, number one, okay. Let, let's start with two things: what it means for USC, what it means for Oklahoma, right? So, my thoughts for USC: yes, if there was ever a home run hire, it's getting a coach who's been at, who's thirty eight years old, who's an elite recruiter, who's been to three college football playoffs and won their conference three times, and produced two Heisman Trophy winners at the quarterback position. If you're USC, what's been your problem? It's been a talking point this year. How many Southern California quarterbacks are playing all over the country right now? Uh, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young, Matt Corral. I mean, JT Daniels of Georgia, pre-injury. <laughs> but it's like, wh- where are those guys starting? Everywhere else other than Southern Cal. Um, you have no one competing with you for talent in the Pac-12. There yeah. is immediate access to... He could win that conference next year because the Pac-12 was wide open. And who's your long-term threat? Oregon? You think they're going to beat you in recruiting with Lincoln Riley at USC? Of course not. So, unbelievable hire for USC to go and get the guy that it has been confirmed that LSU reached out. So, LSU at least wanted to have the conversation. Of course, every school is going to come out and say, this is our first and only choice. LSU reached out to Lincoln Riley. That like that's been confirmed by some sources. So I think uh Bruce Selma was one of the ones who reported that early on, Pete Thamel with Yahoo. But on the, so I mean, my USD thoughts are home run. And I'm just glad I bought my USC stock at the beginning of this season because I bought it cheap. And right. I will be keeping it and holding on to it for next off season because my hashtag playoff Trojans, look, where does it we're, we're really good at being a year early. You know what I mean? With Pitt, Iowa State, like we've done it twice now. USC, my friend. And you know what? Miami too. Let's just call it now. Miami next year. There you go. <laughs> we'll see. Van Dyke at quarterback. I mean, he's looking good. For Oklahoma. This is bad. Um, and it came out literally. I, 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 I was scrolling on Twitter to see if there was any recent news or recording. Apparently – during the team meeting today, someone someone reached out to confirm it. They heard it from sources, then confirmed that Lincoln Riley spent no more than two minutes with the team, told them the news, and then walked out. I mean, so for three players for the 2023 class, including five-star quarterback Malachi Nelson, four-star running back Trayon Webb, and five-star wide receiver Brandon Anis have all decommitted from Oklahoma in the last about 30 minutes or so. And apparently – more to come via Hayes Fawcett of, of On Three Sports. So, and if you look at Oklahoma's commit list for the 2023 class, half of them are from Southern California. This is, I'm not going to say worst case scenario for Oklahoma, but I can't think about. I mean, what a what an awful weekend you lose to your rival. Riley did not like. I am not going to be the head coach at LSU. So you're like, sweet, he's staying. And within 12 hours after that. 
He's left for USC. USC officially announces it, and three top 100 players decommit from next year's class. So if you're Oklahoma, you got to act quickly. Go get your guy. But, I mean, I don't want to talk candidates yet because I just think I'm still processing the fact that – I mean, you, you and I did not have Oklahoma as a top-10 job in college football. We had USC at number seven. I wanted to push them higher. We were convinced to keep them outside of that for other reasons, but USC is a better job than Oklahoma. Yeah. This is still shocking. It's, it's shocking because the, I guess what's, it's already been built at Oklahoma and it's ready to go and ready to keep going and you just keep chugging along. Um, I get that sometimes there's an excitement in building it yourself, and, but he's going from one blue blood to another. And, I mean, yeah, it's – you know, we're talking about it. The framework's there because their personnel, Jacob, is already built for what he does. So he's able to come in and have expectations year one because he's a better coach than what they've had for the past several years. I mean, and he's able to come in and he's also going to recruit. So you're talking about – continuing to add to the talent profile of the team, but maybe get more out of them. I mean, I don't, I don't know of a a better home run than what's been hit. Um, I just, I, I know that they've got, they've got quarterbacks on this roster that are ready to be developed and, you know, he can develop them. And I know that there's, there's just talent everywhere in Southern California and he's able to come in and do this. I agree with you about Oklahoma. I don't really know (laughs) Oklahoma. I'm sure did not want to be in this, in this coach market because with other jobs like Florida and LSU, obviously Florida has been taken, but there's some good jobs still out there. In addition to that, I mean, I don't think Virginia tech's going to take anybody away from Oklahoma, but I mean, it's still another opportunity. If there's an East coast person, that they're interested in. I mean, Virginia Tech's probably got them circled or, or whoever, you know, it's just, this isn't the um, most ideal time to have your coach leave you. Um, I, I'm kind of, it is a worst case scenario and there's not this obvious person. I did think it was really kind of cool that uh, Bob Stoops is going to come back and coach the bowl game. Um, I think that's cool because he's just always kind of like, hey, I'm here, you know, wonder if they're like, hey, here's a cool like, you know, million dollars to just come back and coach a bowl game or something like that. I don't know what that contract negotiation is like or if he's just like volunteer working. I know he's not volunteering, but, you know, (laughs) that's something I wondered because, you know, in a regular season, obviously he's making a lot more than that. He comes back for a bowl game. What's that payday like? But um, (laughs) he just needed to pay for Christmas. So he came back to, to coach the bowl game. Um, but no, Oklahoma is near and dear to his heart. Uh, so I, I do appreciate a coach like that, being able to come back and do that. Um, that makes you feel good. It'll make me interested to watch their bowl game to see how they perform. Um, from that though, there's not a lot of obvious guys. There's not this like up and comer pool of, of coaches, um, really that, I feel like there's too many jobs for the amount of coaches. Like someone's about to hi- hire a coach who is underqualified. 
um, or they're just taking a real high reach on some upside. Um, or there might be some NFL guys coming back that I just don't – I don't see them because they're not in college. Um, you might see some some uh, NFL people make their way back to the college game um, if that's With the Kingsbury, case. Josh Heupel. I had mentioned Josh Heupel a few weeks ago if that was a thing. If I'm a – if I'm Oklahoma, I'm not taking a chance on Josh Heupel. Not yet. If this were he's two gotta, years from now and he's 10 and 2 at Tennessee, sure. Well, and that's what I was saying. Like, I feel like he's someone who makes a lot of sense for Oklahoma in two or three years. Like, he yeah. doesn't make sense right now. Um, the one guy I did think about, I know we're not necessarily going to go through a whole candidate list for them just yet, but I mean, Bob Stoops is coming back to coach the, you know, the bowl game. Maybe give Mark Stoops a call, see what happens, you know. Um, that'd be interesting. But I don't know if they're going to be like <laughs> – it, it could go so many different ways. They could promote from within with Alex Grinch. They could go all these different candidates. So it's just a, – it's a, it's a team that we didn't expect to have to, you know, find a coach for. But that's why the coaching carousel is special because – Whenever someone hires a coach, they're taking him from another team. So um, it'll get kind of vicious before it gets better. So I'm just still reading some of this news. Alex Grinch potentially coming with him, which I think if I'm Oklahoma, promote Alex Grinch, make him your head coach. Like you want to, like Lincoln may take half the staff, keep the defensive staff there, keep some continuity. That's been the strength of the team. Like, That'd be my hire. I mean, Lincoln has already been on the phone with Oklahoma recruits trying to get them to flip to USC this afternoon. I mean, you know, Hero Canoe, uh, he talked about it today. Malcon Nelson, that quarterback, high-star quarterback, has already said, I loved Oklahoma, but Lincoln Riley was the, was the reason I committed there. Like uh, – this hire isn't this is the craziest college football hire since what Nick Saban to Alabama I mean honestly and this is happening in era of the transfer portal NIL and the transfer waiver so I or the transfer free transfer one time so I I mean I'm thinking about roster management in addition to the recruits that he's going to call I mean the players that could potentially follow that it's not going to be a mass exodus of players, but I think he might cherry pick a few players. Um, he might get get to USC, look at the roster, and say, "I need a wide receiver. I need a, you know, a whatever." And whatever he picks out, I mean, there's probably a really good player at Oklahoma that wants to come play for him. So um, that's something to keep in mind as well. That this could be just another, you know, another ex- extra layer to this. And thank goodness that the transfer rules exist because this would this really would screw over the players if it didn't exist. Uh, little oh, update because yeah. I know we're still recording. Uh, the OU Insider, the, their twenty four seven page, has been able to confirm that Bill Badenbaugh and Alex Grinch intend to follow Lincoln Riley to USC. Wow! Wouldn't be shocked. If there's more to follow suit. I mean, whew. 
this is going to keep getting crazy. So be sure to follow uh, Daniel on Twitter at Deep South Daniel. Be sure to follow me on Twitter uh, at Jacob Carnes with a K. We'll be dialing in, retweeting the official sources because <laughs> we're not insiders. <laughs> we are fans. <laughs> so, but you can find all the news on our feeds because I'm sure we'll be. I mean, just scouring everybody for the we'll liking, but... retweeting, quote tweeting, whatever we got to do. Oh goodness, we Love might it. we might draft an original tweet or two. You never know, Daniel. This was my favorite season of co- regular season. Regular season's over, so regular season of college football in my lifetime. So for that, I'm thankful. Love college football. I know you love college football. So thank you for listening. We hope that hey, we just all love college football, and that's what we have in common. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And that will do it for this edition of The Extra Point. He is Daniel. I am Jacob. See you.